0: You're listening to Threads Radio, my name's Luke Fraser and this is The Tonic. Philip Glass's music in 12 parts, written between 1971 and 1974. So full disclosure, I haven't really listened to a great deal of Philip Glass's music, as I think I was put off by what struck me as the overblown blandness and often laziness of a lot of his later work. That's as maybe or not, and I'm sure there's an awful lot of people out there who would beg to differ, But as so often with artists of his longevity and reputation, it's when you dig back that you find the really groundbreaking stuff. And Music in 12 Parts was the last long-form piece of instrumental music that he wrote for his own ensemble, while still being a relative unknown, certainly outside of New York at any rate. It's a very long piece. And although it almost sounds sequenced, it's all performed live, which is a pretty amazing feat. It's classic, almost textbook minimalism. On a superficial level, it sounds like nothing much is changing and it's only when you dig deeper that you sense there's a constant, almost deceptively subtle series of transformations happening throughout. The composer Christopher Fox described it as like staring into a waterfall, which is composed of these microscopic changing parts, which nevertheless hang together in a seemingly unchanging whole. As mentioned, that's performed by the Philip Glass Ensemble. I think that's the most recent version of that piece they've recorded in 2008. Let's put out on Orange Mountain Music. second and third movements of Caroline Shaw's Partita for Eight Voices, written between 2009 and 2012. She's a bit of a darling of the contemporary classical music world in the States. She's certainly enjoyed a level of exposure pretty rarely afforded to composers of the type of music she writes. She's a Grammy Award winner, and also the youngest ever recipient of the Pulitzer Prize in music as a direct result of this piece. And it would be a gross dereliction of duty for me to fail to mention that yes, she has collaborated with Kanye West. So the partita itself is made up of four parts, each named after a Baroque dance movement, and it has a really interesting relationship to music history, seeming to raid through the annals of vocal music, taking inspiration and elements from here and there, whether that be the Renaissance or the outer fringes of the 20th century avant-garde, playing chant and hymn and extended vocal techniques, whilst also bending towards musical cultures from around the world, as for example can be heard with the inclusion of throat singing in the third movement of this piece, which I think is my favorite of the whole thing. That was performed by Room Full of Teeth from the EP Partita for Eight Voices, released on New Amsterdam in 2016. Time for a total step change now. This is Curtis Rhodes. Bye. <small noise> Vault Air by Curtis Rhodes, written between 2001 and 2003. He's a real master of granular synthesis, that versatile process of chopping audio into sonic grains, typically of a few milliseconds in length each, which can then be recombined to form composite textures, sometimes spiky or pointillistic and sometimes dense, swarming or cloud-like. And in this piece, he seems to be exploring a fascination with micro-rhythmic processes and timbral modulation that can be achieved and so finely controlled with granulation. He's often cited by artists such as Orteca as being a key influence. And whilst his music is less immediately accessible than theirs, yes, even the later stuff, maybe just because he doesn't use anything which is beat-based, no matter how chopped and screwed it is, it's still really dynamic and playful stuff when you dig into it. That was taken from the album Pointline Cloud, released on Asphodel in 2005. So last month I featured the music of Undine Smith Moore and in this episode there are two further African-American female composers. The first you heard there, that was Florence Price and Movements 1, 4 and 3 from Five Folk Songs in Counterpoint written in 1951. And Florence Price is probably the best known of these three composers. She achieved a fair amount of success in her lifetime, and she was the first African-American composer to have a symphony performed by a major orchestra, for example, but she seems to be less known today, even if there has been some press attention and a series of reissues of late. Her music to me is an effortless mix of European technique, with American idioms such as African-American church music and folk tunes such as can be heard in the pieces here. I think they're great, they're just really sprightly, continually interesting arrangements that are a real pleasure to listen to and brilliantly performed there by the Apollo Chamber Players from their recent album Blurred Boundaries, which was released on Navona in 2016. <laughs> Song of God by Libby Larson, written in 2003. She's a Midwestern American composer whose music I came across only recently. She's a pretty prolific composer and also the co-founder of the Minnesota Composers Forum, later the American Composers Forum, which was designed to support and promote new music in the States. And this piece is based on a text by Belgian poet Catherine de Vink, and Libby Larson said, I heard it as a head-tossing, laughing, dancing first-person soliloquy. I was immediately drawn to its energy and set out to compose a work with exactly the same feeling. And I have to say, I really like this piece. It just motors through rhythmically and has that bright modal harmony that is feel-good without tipping over into a certain kind of cheesiness that can sometimes happen with vocal music of this ilk. That was performed by the San Francisco Girls Chorus. And as far as I know, it's unreleased. So it was taken off their YouTube channel. No US retrospective would be complete without at least a nod to John Cage. So here's two. first and second movements there of John Cage's Quartets from 1976. So selecting one Cage piece to play on a radio show is kind of a bewildering task. Firstly, there's just so very much to choose from. Secondly, it's also different, but most significantly, there's the open-endedness of Cage's approach. And as a result, the perhaps almost arbitrary nature of any one recording, effectively, no Cage recording can really be considered set or definitive as the notion flies in the face of the indeterminacy that his work embraces. And Cage himself always had a pretty ambivalent relationship to the recording of his own work. Um, Putting all that hand-wringing to one side, however, and just getting on with it, the first two movements of the quartets that you heard there uh, represent Cage at perhaps his most serene and bucolic. Uh, You might be forgiven for not realizing at first that it's an orchestral piece, and that's because no more than four players play at one time hence the title and its pluralization. And as a result, new groups are continually forming into variously composed groups. It was written for the bicentennial of the US with Cage using eight old American chorales, which he then reformed into a new work with the help of the I Ching. It's deceptively simple, but it's actually a very unique piece. It's both easy in a sense on the ear perhaps, and very challenging to perform, as every musician has to count precisely so as not to miss their entry. And whilst I'm not sure of the precise use of the I Ching, it seems that the results of chance have somehow been organized in such a way so as to create continually meaningful or quote unquote musical phrases from the result. Or perhaps that's just my reading in. That was performed by the orchestra Jacobs Platz München, conducted by Daniel Grossman, and that was released on the album Seven and Quartets, on the label Neos in 2007. (laughs) Troubled Water by Margaret Bonds, written sometime in the 1940s. So she's the third African-American female composer in this US retrospective. She's a native Chicagoan where she was part of the fertile arts scene there of the 30s and 40s, known as the Chicago Black Renaissance, which was kind of a sister movement to the Harlem Renaissance, though somewhat less well documented. She’s perhaps best known for her collaborations with the poet and social activist Langston Hughes and the brilliant soprano Leontine Price, as well as Florence Price, who was featured earlier in the show. And although it seems she was well known at least locally in her lifetime, she’s less well remembered today. Troubled Water is another arrangement of an Afro-American spiritual, and I think it's a really great, if quite challenging, piece of piano music to perform, fusing those blues harmonies and inner parts with something of the Western tradition, both classical and jazz. That was performed by Samantha Eag on the piano. The album is For Women, Music for Solo Piano, and that was released on Wave Theory in 2018. Now closing out with a landmark of immersive sound art and live electronics, this is David Tudor's Rainforest. Sound art, sound sculpture, environmental art, as you will. That's a piece and an experience that mostly defies any attempt at neat labelling, and one that, if you get the chance, is undoubtedly best experienced live. That's David Tudor's Rainforest, written in 1968. David Tudor is a really interesting figure. He's a one-time pianist of the avant-garde, probably the American avant-garde pianist and a close collaborator with John Cage in particular, as well as Stockhausen and Pierre Boulez. In fact, it's notable that a significant proportion of those landmark piano works of modernism from the 40s and 50s were written specifically for him, and I guess may not even exist without him. He effectively then dropped piano as a result of sensing that not much more could be done with it, I think, and instead took up composition with electronics. Most of his own pieces were then commissioned by the choreographer, Merce Cunningham. And this piece to me is all about the incredible specialization of the sounds with each sound creature, if you like, located in its own space with the sounds building up in a texture which never loses its clarity or focus. So dozens of homemade electronic objects are suspended from the ceiling at about ear level and the performance space is then filled with sounds given off by the vibration of those objects and those individual sounds are then picked up via contact mic and fed back to the composer's control desk for filtering and mixing, and then in turn passed back out to the performance space either through other objects or loudspeakers. And this recycling phenomenon that takes place makes the entire electroacoustic apparatus of the piece what David Tudor called an ecologically balanced sound system. That was performed by David Tudor and Takashiya Kasugi on Live Electronics. The album is Rainforest, and that was put out by Mode in 1998 so thanks once again to everyone at threads for hosting the tonic will be back on wednesday the 3rd of july thank you for listening